health and our and our wealth, but but ultimately the the position that we have in Jesus Christ, the blessings that we have that will come in the next lifetime, and the faith that you've granted to us to be able to trust that these things are true and that that you will bring them about. And so, Lord, we pray that you would finish the work that you started in us. And uh, Lord, may you help us to know you more so that we can serve you better. Even this morning as we think about stewardship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me uh, get some volunteers to read some passages of Scripture. Phil, John 17, 4. Paul, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. All right. Is that Ken? Um, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. And then Gail, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. It's, uh, it's there on your handout, second line, Second Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. All right, so that'll get us going for a little bit. Um, what kind of issues have produced stress in your life this past week? If you're like me, you hate being late, so maybe it was being late for a meeting or for work or, or something like that. Maybe it, uh, stress came about because of um, the fact that you're trying to save for some upcoming expense and it just wasn't happening. Maybe it was uh, from not getting enough rest this week, and so lack of sleep can lead to to quite a bit of stress. Maybe it was being stuck in traffic, or maybe you missed a plane uh, like we did. But maybe it was some unexpected medical expenses, house repairs, car repairs. Maybe it was how frustratingly slow your kids are are getting ready for church or your spouse. Um, Maybe it's feeling overwhelmed with the responsibilities at home or work or school or church or all the above. All of these things that bring about stress or anxiety have to do with two things, our time and our money, the clock and the dollar. There are such uh, substantial factors in so many parts of our life that their role has to be considered in order for us to have a serious discussion about godly living. And so we want to see this morning that we need to be good stewards of both our time and our money. So first, our time. The disciplined use of our time. We're going to look at ten biblical reasons to use our time wisely. Some of these overlap, um, but but uh, we want to look at these each in turn. So having... So perfectly ordered his days, Jesus was able to pray to God the Father at the end of his life this. John 17, 4. Alright, so here's Jesus. Had the same amount of time of anybody else, as anybody else did during the time period in which he lived. And yet, he says, With the time that I was given, I have glorified you with the work that you have given me to do. And so, Jesus came to the earth, had a job to do. He had responsibilities, and um, He used those properly. In the same way, we have been given work to do in the time that we have in this life, in the time that we have every day. And God gifts us with this time to accomplish that work. And so, the question we need to ask ourselves as we look at these ten reasons for using our time properly is will God be glorified in how we use our time on the earth? And uh, the Bible is filled with verses that teach us how to use our time wisely. Okay, if we're going to do this, then we need to understand, number one, that 
the days are evil. Ephesians 5:15 to 16. Each day there are many evils that are actively trying to steal your time and to cause you to use your time for sinful purposes. We have fighting against us the world, the flesh, and the devil all trying to take our time and to, to cause us to use it for unwise purposes. And so what, here, here's what Paul says, inspired, this inspired writing of the of this Holy Spirit, that our thoughts must be disciplined, that we need to use the most or make the most of our time because the days in which we live are evil. And so that requires that we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, that we discipline ourselves for the purpose of using our time properly. Uh, Listen to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. In general, we are inclined to ease and pleasure and gluttony and and laziness. And so we have to actively pursue self-control. Otherwise, our bodies, our, our, our persons will serve evil more than it serves God. And here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Don't set your affections on the things of this earth. We're going to see later that the things of this earth are fading away. And we need to set our affections on the things that are above set our affections on Christ and and um, we need to rise above the the worldly desires for gain and pleasure. So we need to first recognize that evil is all around us and that evil, all of the things that are battling against us are working against our time. Now, we can't remove the evil from this world, can we? The illustration uh, of a bird. You know, there, there are all sorts of birds flying over, uh, but, but we can't stop them from flying over us, but we can stop them from nesting in our yard. And the th- same thing is true about evil. We can't stop evil from happening in the world. That's actually not our job. But we can stop it from, from taking its home or making its home in our, in our lives. And so we need to, to work at that, and we need to do so with our time. All right, so number one, we need to understand that the days are evil. Number two, we need to prepare ourselves for eternity. Second Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Okay, so if we're going to, to be saved for eternity, then when do we prepare for that? I mean, it's a very basic the very basic idea. We don't wait for eternity to prepare for eternity. We have to do it now in time. And and so that's why at the end of the verse it says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So obviously the, the application for anyone who's not a Christian is that now is the day to pursue salvation, to get saved, uh, to allow Christ to to save you from from sin. Um, 
But we as Christians also must prepare. If God is calling us to, to be better prepared for eternity, then we need to use our time now to, to in order to do that. So, uh, you know, I was talking to the to the believers there in San Pedro last week, or actually it's two weeks ago now, but um, just making the application that that we need to live now like we want to live then. How is it that we want to be as Christians? You know, if we're convicted of sin now, why wait until, you know, maybe I, you know, get through college or I have, you know, my kids are grown up or we have all these things, these kind of milestones in our life. Once we get to that point, then we'll start dealing with those kinds of sins. And um, but but the point is is that we need to recognize that preparing for eternity starts now. And if we're convicted about a specific sin, we ought to to take care of it now. Number three, our days are few. So the days are evil. We prepare ourselves for eternity. Our days are few. The reason that our time is so value valuable is because it's very scarce. So. For example, sand, gravel, it's not its not going to be worth a lot of money, right? Because we can get sand and gravel almost anywhere. But diamonds are much scarcer, right? It's a lot harder to get a diamond. And so because of that, it has great value. Um, the same thing is true about time. There, there's only a limited amount of time that we have. We can't buy time. Uh, we can't add more time to our life. We only have a certain allotted time in in a day. Everybody has the same amount. And so it's scarce. And that's why it's so valuable. James 4, 13 and 14 talk about, you know, being careful about how we do business and how we talk about it. Say the Lord wills because we don't know what our life is going to be like. We are just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's very short. Life is very short in comparison to Eternity. Our days are few. And so time is very valuable. We need to use it wisely. Number four, time is fleeting. Time is passing away. It's it's slipping away like sand in an hourglass. First John two seventeen says that the world and its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God abides forever. So we may talk about time. Passing away, we talk, may talk about saving time and buying time, and certainly the scriptures even talk about redeeming the time. But but if we want to be technical, we can't actually do any of those things. Uh, technically, we can't change the amount of time that we have. We can only use use it wisely, uh, according to to um, to the number of days that God has given us. So we need to recognize that our time is fleeting; it's passing away. Number five, our remaining time is uncertain. Our remaining time is uncertain. Not only are our days few and fleeting, but we also don't know when our life is going to end. So we may, uh, you know, those of you who are younger may think, well, you know, I have a lot of time on my hands. But we don't know that. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Psalm 31:15 says my time my times are in your hands deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me only God knows how much time we have and so he commands us to live in such a way that we should be ready to die at any moment turn to Matthew 25 everyone 
can turn there, Matthew 25. Here we have the parable of the ten virgins. And uh, they have a responsibility to take their lambs, lamps and make sure that they're trimmed so that when the bridegroom comes, they are ready. Five of them do this. Five of them do not. Notice verse 3, Matthew 25, verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. That is, the five who were ready. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there's not going to be enough for us and you too. So go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And here's the application for the disciples and for us. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. We have a responsibility to keep oil in our lamps in preparation for when the bridegroom appears. That we can't wait until He appears to get everything in order. Now's the time to get things in order because we don't know the day or the hour. He could come at any time. First Thessalonians 5 uh, has a similar uh, principle about staying awake. Paul says that, that we need to, to be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we need to be self-controlled, putting on faith and putting on hope. And uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10 that the day of the Lord will come like a, like a thief in the, light, in the night. So, we need to, have, we need to understand the value of, of time and and. Ask the Lord to teach us to number our days so that we will gain a heart of wisdom. All right, there's the first five. We're going to keep going through these next five. But do you have any questions on anything that we've seen so far or comments? Bill? No. Yes, I I agree with that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that the imagery is meant to to go that far and talk about the Holy Spirit. But um, but to be honest, I haven't studied that passage very closely. But from a surface reading of it, um, it just seems to me that the point is to be ready. Some are ready, some are not. And the application for us is be ready. And the the way to be ready absolutely is by making sure that our you know that we are believers. You know that we're saved. So, um, not that, yeah. So, so I, I think we we uh, we agree there in general. All right, number six. Time lost cannot be regained. There are many things that we can lose and then regain. Like if we lose our keys, we can we can find them. If we lose uh, money, we can regain that money. If we lose. Our possessions, we can regain them. If we lose a relationship even, we can regain that relationship. But time is not that way. Once time is gone, it's gone forever. 
Dr. Al Moeller, president of Southern Seminary, says that he he, hang, he has a clock hanging on a, on his wall in his office, and it's a, a clock that you can hear the seconds ticking away. My, I have a similar one in my office, um, and he says he likes that because it reminds him that 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 is gone. It, it's gone forever. When he hears that sound, he recognizes that 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 time is gone forever. John 9, 4 says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Jesus says, This night is coming when no one can work. And so, the time for us to work is now, while it is day. Um, so, despite all of our, um, despite all of our efforts, we, we need to, we need to, to work hard to, to, um, redeem the time that is use it wisely to to make sure that we're using according to to God's purposes and we do that by disciplining ourselves Um, you've met undisciplined people who have no concept of time and don't care about time okay that that's not the way that we ought to be as Christians we ought to be people who are disciplined about our time that we are thinking very carefully how am I going to use my time how am I going to use it for the sake of God's purposes? Now, there are things that come up in life that we can't avoid. You know that you know we we may have a certain period of time that's set aside for the purpose of doing something for the glory of God. Maybe it's evangelism or spending time with our family or reading the scriptures. And then we have interruptions that come in the way. Okay? But but I would suggest to you that if we don't plan that kind of thing, those we don't we don't fall into doing those things for God. We don't just kind of uh, we don't kind of stumble into doing God's will. Uh, it, it's something that needs to be planned and thought about in in advance. All right, number seven. We're accountable to God for our time. This goes along with what um, Jeremy was talking about two weeks ago when he preached here. Um, that we're all we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account for how we used our lives, how we used our resources, um, whether they were good or whether they were evil. Romans fourteen twelve, um, and uh, actually First Corinthians three twelve through fifteen. I think this is a passage Jeremy brought up. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. The point is not that our works will determine our standing before God. The point is that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our standing, our position is settled because of Jesus Christ, right? But our rewards are not. Our rewards are determined based on how we allow the Spirit of God to work in us. And so all these things will be shown for whether they're valuable or, or, or um, worthless. And the valuable ones will remain. And they will result in rewards. The worthless ones will be burned up and be used for nothing. Um, much like uh, graduation day. You know, we get to graduation day, we've made it, we, we will get our diploma but we look back and we think about some of the things that we could have done better. That we, you know, we, we may get some rewards for some of the things that we did right, and at the very least, we get the diploma. But 
But we look back and, and there's a little bit of remorse that we, we wish we would have spent our time better. Um, and so overall, it's going to be a, a time of great joy, the judgment seat of Christ. We shouldn't, um, uh, there should be a, some sense of trembling or fear for, for uh, standing before God in that way. But, but in general, it should be a time of joy because we're graduating. You know, we, we've made it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my Lord. Alright, number eight. Time is so easily lost. The book of Proverbs repeatedly draws attention to the sluggard and his laziness. And by the way, we ought to use those sorts of examples to help train other people about the right use of time. So, don't shelter your kids from from seeing lazy people. But when they see lazy people, use it as a, in an object lesson, just like the, the writer of Proverbs does. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. So the point is the sluggard is not willing to go outside because he's afraid of the lion. The wise person recognizes there's a lion in the street. Or this probably is a little bit embellished by the sluggard, you know, he always has an excuse for why he can't do something. Oh, no, they can't go out until there's a line in the road. Well, even if there is a line in the road, the wise person is going to figure out a way to get out and you know, maybe go out the back door or something. Um, but I think probably more likely the, the idea is that he just embellishes things in order to, to keep from having to do what, what he needs to do. He's just like a door that turns on his hinges. He just keeps rolling over in his bed. Um, the, the lazy person takes the path of Maximum comfort. Proverbs 24, 33 and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So will your poverty come like a vagabond. Uh, so for him, it's just the lazy person. It's just a little sleep. Just a, just a tiny bit more sleep and I'll be, and I'll be good. Um, but but in, in turn, he's, he's actually wasting his life away. All right, I need to keep moving because I got... Ten more on the next section that i got to talk about with money. So, number nine. We will value time most at death. We will value time most at death. Voltaire was a um, writer and philosopher during the French Enlightenment period, and he said on his deathbed, I will give you half of what I am worth if I could just get six more months of my life. Okay? Probably not a believer, but the point is is clear. There is great value to our time. And when we get to our deathbed, we will realize it more than we do now. And so the point is that we need to use it properly now. Uh, Proverbs 5 is a great passage to look up. I think I've got it there for you in your handout. Um, At the end of your life, you will groan. You know, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I have come to the... You know, the brink of ruin and so on. Jonathan Edwards is a great example for us. At the age of 17, he wrote his uh, resolutions for himself, and one of them was this. I am resolved that I will live so as I I shall wish I had done when I come to die. I want to live now how I wish I would have lived when I come to die. That's a great way to think about our lives. How is it that we want to look back in our lives when we come to our deathbed? Well, start living that way now. Take the same pledge as Edwards. Number 10. 
Um, our time on earth is valuable in eternity. Do you think anyone in hell thinks that it's wise for people who are living on the earth to just idly use their time and not be concerned about eternal things? And I don't think anyone, and I know that's a fact because Luke 16, right? Abraham, uh, or the Lazarus and the rich man and Lazarus, you know, the rich man is in torment. And what does he say? Go back and tell my brothers. They're, they're wasting their lives. You know, while he's on the earth, he never would have said that. They're wasting their lives. I mean, even uh, 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 an unbeliever recognized that, recognizes that, that idly using our time, not using our time properly is, is a waste. And so we need to invest our time wisely as Christians all the more because we know the value of time in light of eternity. We only have one life. It will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Any questions on redeeming the time, using our time wisely? You can. That's good to have examples, yeah. How does he ever have time for Facebook? That's what I want to know. Oh, okay. That, maybe that's not a valuable use of our time. Okay. All right, let's talk about the disciplined use of money. By the way, that is a great uh, example. That, that Look for examples of people who do know how to redeem the time. You know these people, you're like, how, how in the world do they possibly get everything done? And then you add something to their plate and they get it done. Um, but but that's because they're good at at managing time. They they recognize the value of time. Follow those kinds of models and and um, and learn from them. All right. So the disciplined use of money. Why is the disciplined use of our money and other resources so crucial to our growth in godliness? That's what we're talking about. Spiritually disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So why is money, our use of money, so important? Well, for one, it's just a matter of sheer obedience. We have to use our money well, as we'll see in the Scripture. The, the, the Bible has a lot to say about money. But also, our use of money is perhaps one of the best indicators of our spiritual maturity because it, it tells us, it's a barometer for what is most important to us. So if, for example... Um, I came to the end of my life and you had access to all of my financial documents. You could see what I spent my money on for my entire life. You'd be able to tell what is most important to me. Where is it that I spend my money? And I, this, I could say the same thing for you. It's, a, it's, a in, it's an indicator of how mature we are as Christians. Now, um, let me just make one principle clear before we get into these ten um, these ten uh, New Testament principles on giving. So this is actually an eleventh, but 
And that is that God requires us to manage our money in such a way that our our needs and those of our family are met. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, then he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? 1 Timothy 5.8. So our primary responsibility according to the Scriptures is to ourselves and our family. Okay, but... A lot of times we use that as an excuse why we can't give more. We're going to see an example of the widow who gave everything that she had. But, but you know, sometimes we have all these things that we think we need to do and we fail to, to provide for our own family. And in that case, God's saying that, you know, you don't really understand the priorities of money. All right, so with that in mind, number one, we need to recognize that God owns everything that you own. 1 Corinthians 10.6 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Quoting from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and, Lord's and everything in it. Haggai 2.8 says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. So that means that we are only managers of the resources that we have. Yes, managers of our time. That's actually not our time. It's God's time. Same thing is true about our money. It's not our money. It's God's money. And so we're only stewards. That's what the Bible uh, talks about. So think of it like Joseph when he was in charge of Potiphar's house. Uh, it, it didn't mean that he owned all those things. It only meant that he was a manager of those things. It, it actually belonged to Potiphar. The same thing is true about us. We don't own any of the things that we have. They all belong to God. We're just managing them. And so our question should not be when it comes to giving, how much should I give to God? How much of my money should I give to God? The question should be, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Alright, so God owns everything that you own. Number two, giving is an act of worship. We looked at this, um, all of life is worship. But have you ever thought that, that one of the ways that we worship is by giving? Philippians 4.18, Paul's, we're going to come to this in a couple weeks in Philippians, but Paul's saying, I received your gift in full, and the result is, talking to the Philippians, that it is pleasing to God. So, your giving resulted in pleasure to God. And I think we could say the same thing about our offerings, that when we give to God, it's actually pleasing to Him. Um, those who have already given themselves to God are, are happy to give of their their resources, their time, their their money, and um, we'll see this here in the, with the widow here in the, the next under the next point. Number three, giving reflects faith in God's program. Giving reflects faith in God's program. Why don't we turn to Mark 12 together? You're in Matthew, so Mark 12:41. Giving reflects faith in God's provision. The, the proportion of your income that you give back to God is one indication of how much you trust God. I try to remind us as a church often that anyone can give when there's a, an emotional appeal to give. Okay, When there's a big event and you know maybe a big need. And, and that's good. We ought, to, we ought to be emotionally invested in, in some of the things that need to be given to. But, but the real... Mature Christians are the ones that give regularly, that they give when it hurts, that they give regularly because they know that this 
is an expression of their faith in God. And um, and that's what we all, all ought to be doing. Not just, you know, when, you know, when I have a little extra, that's when I'll give to God. Will someone read verses 41 to 44? All right, so the rich people were putting in a lot more money than the widow could ever put in. But their giving did not reflect trust in God's goodness. The widow's giving put her in a place where she was completely dependent upon God because she, that was all that she had to live on. And so she made a sacrifice and showed faith in God's provision to meet her needs. Sometimes we don't give because of fear of the future or so that we can hoard the money for ourselves. And and the reason we do that is because we think that that money is going to provide the security that we need. But ultimately, the security comes from God. Only God is our refuge and strength. And and the only reason that we have anything at all is because it's His money. And, and our investments can turn bad and dry up in, in the briefest of moments. I've witnessed this um with a, a close friend of my brother's not too long ago. His life just got turned upside down in a hurry. Not No fault of his own. It's just some. It was kind of like a Job type thing. You know, just like with Job, it wasn't any fault of his own. He just lost it all. And, and that can happen in a hurry. And so we should not put our trust in uncertain riches. No, this is not a condemnation of money or wealth. Um because ultimately it's the attitude of the heart that God cares about. And, you know, we have examples of believers in the Scriptures like John Mark and his family um, who are used in great ways to provide for the needs of the church as, as, uh, as God would see fit. But, but the, the point is that, that our ultimate trust should not be in our money. It has to be in God. That's why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the whole point of that phrase is not that no rich people can be saved because the very next thing that the disciples ask is then who can be saved? And his answer is it's impossible with man, but but with God all things are, are possible. So the point is not that rich people can't be saved, but the point is that rich people tend to get caught up in their wealth. And we can do the same thing uh, even if we're not, if we don't even consider ourselves rich. Number three, number four. Giving should be sacrificial and generous. Uh, this is the widow. She gave sacrificially and generously. The Apostle Paul talks about this, uh, about the Macedonian churches in Second Corinthians eight. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And the reason they could do this is because they gave of themselves first and then their gifts. I would strongly recommend that you you look at that passage for yourself sometimes. Great passage. Second Corinthians eight and nine are two of the best chapters in the Bible on giving. 
All right, so does your giving cause you to make different choices about how you live? I've heard uh, a pastor say before that that, it, that if when you give it doesn't hurt, then you need to give some more. Okay, because um, if we're just giving and it, it just kind of, you know, this is kind of nice, my lifestyle's fine, it's not really causing me any um, difficulties, not causing me to depend upon God any more, then, then we probably need to give more. Sacrificial giving means that we feel the sacrifice, that it actually hurts, it hits home, it affects the way that we live. And uh, sometimes sometimes when we have a great amount of wealth, we don't see this as much as those who don't. Number five, giving reflects spiritual trustworthiness. Jesus says in Luke 16, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then why would you be entrusted with the true riches? Okay, the use of our money is one of the best ways that we can evaluate our re- relationship with God. You have two examples in the Scripture. One of Zacchaeus who gave half of his money to the poor and he repaid everyone that he had wronged four times as much. And then you have the other example, the rich young ruler who the very thought of losing his riches, he became sad and, and turned away. One made money his servant, and the other made money his God. One opened his hand out of love for God, and the other closed his fist because he thought that's where his his um, his power was, his his dependent or his security was. So, if we're going to be entrusted with the greater riches of God, it starts with how we use our money. Any questions on these first five, Sandra? Right. Yeah, that's why her her gift was worth much more to God than all those great riches that the that the um, the rich men were doing because they weren't doing it out of their heart; they were just doing it to be seen by others and things. All right, number six: giving should be done <clears throat> out of love, not legalism. So, just wondering if you received your your giving bill from the church this month it tells you how much you're supposed to give okay probably haven't because we don't send those out okay god doesn't send you a bill either he doesn't send you a bill to tell you how much you owe to him because of the services that are being provided for you okay that's because we ought to give out of love not out of legalism this is what believers need to learn that that we need to excel in the grace of giving that's what second corinthians 8 is talking about um, think about it this way. How much does your spouse or your parent, when you give them a gift, how much do they like it when after you give the gift, they, they say, what, what, why'd you do that? Why'd you spend so much money on me? You know, why'd you spend that much time getting this? And you respond by saying, well, that, that's my obligation. It's my sense of duty to you. I have to because I'm your husband. I have to because I'm your son. That kind of thing. Hey, how much does that how, how good does that feel to your loved one uh, compared to, I'm giving this to you because I love you. See, I, I often think that, that we as Christians a lot of time treat our offering like another bill. You know, that the, here's the money that comes in this month. 
and here's the bills I have to pay, and just throw it in there. There's another one. Okay, check it off my list. It's done. My obligation is finished. And that's why we need to be careful about how we give and and be thinking about it. Like, this is an expression of my love for you, God. I, I, I'm giving up something that is of value to me in order for you to have it. And um, I think God's much more pleased when we give out of love than out of obligation. Number seven, giving should be done willingly, thankfully, and cheerfully. And... Um, So if we're giving out of grudge or duty, we're going to give because we have to or because we ought to. But if we're giving out of thanksgiving and out of a cheerful heart, we're going to give because we want to. So some people give to God like they give to the IRS. Some people give to God like they give to the electric company. Okay, But we ought to give to God like we're giving an engagement ring to a fiancé. Okay? I'm not trying to be irreverent there, but but it's something that's done out of our hearts, out of love. All right, number next. Number eight. Giving is an appropriate response to real needs. Acts 2 and Acts 4 talk about how the believers had everything in common. They were giving their possessions for the sake of those who had need. And so as a spiritual family, we ought to desire the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we ought to be marked by this the kind of love that was shown there, like with Barnabas, where he was willing to sell this property and give it for the sake of the church, not to be recognized, but for the sake of of the needs within the church. Number nine, giving should be planned and systematic, just like our time. If we're going to be wise with our time, we need to plan how we're going to use it. Well, the same thing is true about money, because what happens if we don't plan to use our money properly at the end of 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 our bank account, we're going to find that it's gone and we didn't use it for what we had thought about using it for or wanted to use it for. So that's why um, I recommend that, that you give to God out of the first first part of what you receive. You know, don't, don't wait to see if you have enough left over to give to God. Give to God out of what you, you know, out of what you have in proportion to what you've received and then start, start working to... Um, Start working with the other areas as well. Uh, so that means it needs to be planned. Start planning out. How much money do I get in every week, every month? How much money ought I to be giving to God? And how much can I work to reduce my other expenses so that I can be giving more to God? Uh, it's a great way to, to think about our money. Number 10, generous giving results in abundant blessing. Now, we have to be careful about how we say this because there is the prosperity theology out there that teaches that God's will is for you to be rich financially and rich physically and so on. But the abundance that we're talking about here and the abundance uh, with regard to the verses that are listed here are not talking about abundance in this life. Now, God can bless us abundantly in this lifetime because we give, but that's not the promise that we have. Okay, The promise in Malachi 3 is not for, for New Testament believers. That's for Israel. The, the promise there is if, you know, see, test me in this, give me as much as you can and watch your storehouses overflow and that kind of thing. Um, all sorts of pro- prosperity preachers love to use that to say that, you know, give money to my ministry and watch how God gives it back to you, that kind of thing. But but really, most of the, our blessings from God 
forgiving will come in the next life. Our good stewardship will result in storing treasures in heaven. My pastor used to say, and I've mentioned this before, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Isn't that true? We can't take anything with us, but we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven by using our money wisely now, investing in God's program, God's church. I need to make one correction. I'm not going to go through all these applications, but on the back, the second to last one there, over 30 to 50 years of your life as a worker, okay, the Lord will likely provide you with around $1 million. Okay, Some of you a lot more. Some, some of you perhaps less. But how... I mean, think of that. How will you use that money? God has entrusted to you. It's God's money. You are His manager of that money. No one else can manage it for you. You have to manage it yourself. How are we going to use our time and our money for the sake of God's purposes? And again, I'd like to just recommend this book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Excellent resource uh, for you to read through. Any questions or comments? Quickly. Bill. I'll have to try that on my brothers. <laughs> All right. That is true. Um, we uh, can't take anything with us, so storing it up and trying to secure ourselves in this lifetime is, is really futile because our security comes from, from God and God alone. So we need to put our confidence on Him. And sometimes what happens is we don't learn to depend upon God as much as we should um, in the area of finances, because we've 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 built up such a nest egg that um, that we're not to, willing to give any of that away, and so when it comes time when we need to depend upon God, it's harder for us to do that because we're used to depending on, you know, things that can actually give us something. In our mind, I'm saying that facetiously, but so um, we need to work hard to um, to depend upon God, but also use wisdom in taking care of our own families. You know, we. Because if we don't prepare or if we don't provide for our own families, you know, worse than unbelievers. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be stewards of your resources. We are amazed at, at your grace. We don't deserve anything that you give us. We don't deserve the time that we have on this earth. We don't deserve the money that you constantly provide for us. But we do ask that you would provide for our needs, that you would give us our daily bread so that we will be able to you. We want to have long, fruitful lives for your service. Help us to know how to use our time and our money uh, for your purposes. May you convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us where we need to be.